Well, if you could um, get a Bible and turn to John chapter 11, um, that would be fab. Um, John chapter 11. Um, and it is this amazing account of when Jesus um, interacted and went to the tomb where his friend Lazarus had died. And we're going to see more of that. Let me just remind you what we're doing. We're actually taking quite a long time to go through this uh, story um, because John structures it in the way that he writes it. Three times a similar sort of question is asked. The, The same kind of emotion is expressed. Lord, if only you'd been here, you could have done something. And so we're taking a week to look at each of the three responses Jesus gives. The first is in um, verse 21, when Martha says, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. If only, Jesus, if only you'd been here. And Jesus responded to Martha, this was last week, with powerful words. He spoke to her. He spoke truth to her that she needed to know. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And so you get these powerful words that Jesus speaks to Martha. But then Mary asks the same question and makes the same statement. And you'll see it in verse 32. We'll read the account in a moment, but just see it in verse 32. She says to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And the fascinating thing is that we might think, well, that's what Martha's just said. So Jesus is going to say the same thing again now because we know what he says in response to that. He says powerful words, I'm the resurrection life, I'll rise your brother. But instead, Jesus responds completely differently. You see, we have a... We have a Lord, we have a King, we have a Master, we have a Saviour who knows what we need and will respond to us in the way that we need Him to. And so rather than powerful words that Jesus spoke to Martha, He responds to Mary with powerful emotion. He says very few words, but that doesn't mean He's not responding. And that's where we're going to focus today. And then next week, the crowd then say, well, could he not have kept Lazarus alive? And he responds to the crowd with powerful action when he raises Lazarus from the dead. That won't be next week, it's generosity week. That'll be in a few weeks' time. (laughs) But that's where we're heading. Powerful words. We saw that. Powerful emotion. So let's read the account. I'm going to go from verse 25. And let's hear these words. And I want you to watch and to see... How Jesus responds to Mary. I'm going to go from verse 25. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who'd been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. 
When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. There's the powerful emotion of Jesus. And I want us to explore that this afternoon and to try and understand what's going on there. Why is that recorded for us? My absolute favorite um, story outside of the Bible when I was a child was Peter Pan. Um, I was a huge Peter Pan fan. Um, I used to say often to my mum, I want to be Peter Pan. I never want to grow up because Peter Pan is the boy who never grows up. But in um, J.M. Barry's classic book, um, the first time you meet Peter Pan, do you know what he's doing? He's crying. And he's crying because he's lost his shadow. And he's hunting for this shadow, and he's looking for it, and he flies into the nursery. It's slightly creepy when you think about it kind of as an adult. But anyway, he flies into the nursery of um, the darling children, and Wendy wakes up, and the first thing that Wendy says to Peter Pan is, boy, why are you crying? Why are you crying? And that's the question I want us to think about. Why are you crying? You see, when you see someone crying, it's very difficult not to have the thought in your mind, why? What is it that has caused you to weep? Perhaps you're sitting on the tube and you see someone opposite you crying. It's very difficult not to think, I wonder why. What's happened? And when you come to the pages of the Bible, you discover over and over again in the Bible that you meet people who cry. You find people who weep. And in many ways, that shouldn't surprise us. And, and I think although we may, be, we may think, why are you crying when we see someone on the street who's crying? We're never very surprised to see people crying. It's not an uncommon thing. It's not a surprising thing. But I do think it's surprising that Jesus is crying. And I do think it should make us say, why are you crying, Jesus? John 11.35 is the shortest verse in the Bible. If you've ever had been in Sunday school, I remember being in Sunday school, and uh, one of the leaders said, I'm going to give out sweets and bookmarks to anyone who can memorize a verse from the Bible, because that seems to be the only way to get this thing to work. Bribery, corruption, all that sort of stuff. So I thought I was so clever. Me and Stephen Gower, we went, Ooh, <laughs> I know a really short verse. This is going to be easy. So, you know, it's a, it's a well-known verse. Jesus wept. It may be short, but I'm going to spend the next probably half an hour basically explaining and thinking about those two words. Jesus wept. Why, Jesus? Why are you crying? 
And I want to try and show you six reasons why I think Jesus is crying. Six reasons what his tears are there for in the pages of John's Gospel. And the first one, and we'll go quite quick. I know six is a lot, um, but we'll, get, we'll go quite quickly. The first one is that the tears of Jesus are revealing his glory. This is not just a kind of a moment, you know, Jesus is coming to the tomb, he comes to the tomb, and he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he does a bit of crying first, but that's just sort of on the way, and then he gets to the tomb. No, no, this moment matters. It is revealing something to us. Remember, I know I bang on about this all the time, but that's what John's gospel is all about. John's gospel is about the revealing of the glory of Jesus. It is us seeing Jesus for who he truly is. And the tears that welled up in the eyes of Jesus, the salty droplets of water that drove rivers down his cheeks are revealing something to us. They're revealing his glory. Okay, here's, my, here's a question for you. This is a theological question to get you thinking. Does God cry? Does God cry? I wonder what your instinctive... No, I, don't... don't <laughs> What's your instinctive reaction? Do you think God cries? Well, we need to be careful when we're talking about the nature of God because the reality is that what we tend to do is to think of God as being like us. And so we go, well, I imagine that God probably cries. I think it's fairly clear from the Bible that God does not cry. And the reason I say that, and and I I appreciate that that may be a disappointment to some of us, (laughs) so hear me out. The reason I say that is because God, for a start, God is not a physical being. He does not have tear ducts. He does not have physical eyes where he can weep physical tears. But more than that, God is not a God who changes God is not a God who can suffer loss. You see, if God were a God who could suffer loss, then he would be becoming something less than he is, which means he is becoming something less than perfect, which he cannot do. You see, God is not becoming anything. God is not changing. He does not get older. He does not get wiser. He does not get happier. He does not get sadder because he suffers no change. He experiences no change. He is impassable. That's the the word for it. Now, the Bible does talk of God and and ascribe to him human emotions. So the the Bible does talk of of God um, experiencing um, emotion. But the Bible speaks that way in order that we might get a little glimpse of something of what is true of him. But it would be very wrong for us to say, oh, God's just like us. God feels just like we do. God experiences life life just like us. 
And so I want to, to start with the idea that no, God does not cry like we do. And that, that is why Jesus had to become a man. You see, why did God send his son into the world? He sent his son so that his son might cry. Because God does not cry. Okay, let me, let me put it a different way. Okay, let me ask you a different question. Just to try and make the point, and this might make it easier for us to see. Can God die? I think that we're going to be on safer ground to say, no, God cannot die. He cannot suffer the loss of dying. He's immortal. That, that is precisely why Jesus had to become a man. So that God could experience death. So John Wesley, in his amazing hymn, And Can It Be, he says, "'Tis mystery all, the immortal dies." How can the immortal God die? Only because God became a human being, and in the one person of Jesus, there is the God nature and the human nature, and now God can experience tears. So to paraphrase and to twist, and with a slight apologies to John Wesley, you could sing, "'Tis mystery all, the immortal cries." You see, this is what is happening. God so loved his world that he sent his son into the world to become like us. God is not like us. God does not experience emotion like we do. But God became a man so that he would be like us and so that he could experience like us and so that he could die on a cross. And so Jesus did get older, and Jesus did learn things, and Jesus' joy did increase, and his sadness did increase. He did experience change because he came to be like us. You see why it's so important that God became man, and when we read that Jesus wept, and you put that together with all that John has told us about Jesus being the eternal Son of God, the eternal Word who both is God and was God, who was there in the beginning, you get this amazing reality that God wept. Do you see? Can we stand for a moment? Not, not physically, just stay sitting. It's all right. I'm not expecting you to do anything. Physically, I, I am expecting you to be worshipping God at this point. Is there something in you that would worship the God who might be willing to come into this world and cry? Can you think of any other God like that? It's very interesting when when Martha goes to get Mary, in verse 28, it says, the teacher is here and is asking for you. Isn't that interesting to call Jesus at that moment, right? When Mary's upset, isn't it interesting to call Jesus the teacher is here? Why? Because Jesus is the teacher that you desperately need. But not just to teach you with words, but to teach you with his tears. To teach you how much he loves you, that he would come and cry for you. 
So it reveals his glory, but it's not just revealing his glory, it is revealing in Jesus the perfectly ordered emotional life. You see, what we're seeing now, what we're getting a glimpse into, and this is why these two words, Jesus wept, are so precious to us. They give us an insight into the very emotional life of Jesus. I think it's fair to say we have a complex relationship with our emotions. Most of us. This is why Disney can make a film like Inside Out, and we sit there and go, that's so brilliant. If you've not seen it, it's an incredible insight. Into, uh, into human emotion. Reality is we have disordered emotions. Most of us are embarrassed by our emotions sometimes. We try and hide our tears, don't we? What was the first thing that Peter Pan said to Wendy? First thing Wendy said to Peter Pan, boy, you're crying. First thing that Peter Pan said to Wendy, I'm not crying. And how often is that our instinct? To, oh, to wipe it, come don't even see me crying. I don't want you to see me cry. Because I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed. They sort of feel like it's going to reveal something weak about me. We think that being emotional is somehow being weak. Jesus wept. Hear it. Jesus wept. If you ever get to a point where you think that real men don't cry, you are kidding yourself. Here is Jesus who stands at the grave of Lazarus and weeps, and with those tears, he validates all of your tears. He says all of your tears are legitimate and worthy. They're not something to be embarrassed about and to be ashamed of. Jesus wept. And it's not just that we get embarrassed by our emotions. I think we get confused by our emotions. Our emotions are disordered. We don't know what to feel. Sometimes I feel something. I think, why am I feeling that? I don't want to feel that. Or I'm feeling, I'm not feeling, we get like all over the place with our emotions. But in Jesus, you see the perfect man whose emotions are always not under control in the sense of being like hidden but always rightly expressed sometimes we become overwhelmed by our emotion and it shapes our thinking and it causes us to to make bad decisions and it causes us to get things wrong now here is Jesus who is perfectly ordered in his emotions who is able to express his emotions fully and yet still be able to be and do what is right Do you see, when we look at the emotional life of Jesus, how it helps us to think about our emotional life. He's the teacher who even in the face of the deepest sorrow will teach us what it means to be fully human. So we've got to get away from any sense of stoicism, any sense of don't cry. Any sense of dry your tears, dry your eyes. Any sense of wanting to put on a front that somehow we're under control and that we're the ones who've got this sorted. 
I'm not a crier. I wonder if I ask you, when was the last time you cried? For some of you, that would be a really easy question. It would be like, yeah, about four hours ago. <laughs> some of you are criers, right? You cry a lot. For some of you, you're sitting there going, boy, when did I last cry? I haven't got a clue when I last cried. You see, we have this weird relationship with our emotions, right? They're different. But what we have in Jesus is this perfect orderedness. And Jesus wants to come to you in your emotion, whether you are an emotional person or a stoic. Jesus wants to come to you in your emotions and say, let me meet you there. You don't have to hide that from me. You don't have to pretend to be something you're not. Here is Jesus, perfectly ordered. Responding with appropriate emotion at every point. Thirdly, Jesus reveals the depth of his sympathy. Jesus wept. It shows you the depth of his sympathy. Jesus, why are you crying Well, verse 33 says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He sees her weeping. And he sees the others weeping. And it moves him. He sympathizes. He has a connection You know, Jesus is not like, Jesus doesn't breeze into the situation, right? He knows, he, he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. This is what's so weird about this story. He knows where this is heading. He knows what he's going to do. But see it, right? He doesn't breeze into the situation and go, oh, stop it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's fine. I'll heal him. Bang, I'll, I'll raise him from the dead. Instead, he stops in that moment to weep with them, to sympathize with them in their tears. You see, God has become like us so he can sympathize with us. So when you find yourself crying and you find yourself thinking, I'm not sure anyone understands, Jesus says, I understand. I know what it's like to weep. Jesus knows what it's like to feel that prickle in your eyes, to feel the warmth in your eyes, and to feel the tears flow down your cheeks. Jesus knows that. He can sympathize with you. And sometimes to have someone who will simply come alongside you and weep with you is a very precious thing. That's what Jesus does first with Mary. Before he says anything, before he does anything, he weeps with her. That's not because he's being the teacher to Martha and sort of something else to Mary. No, that is how he teaches. In his tears, he sympathizes with her. 
But these tears of Jesus go beyond just revealing the depth of his sympathy. That is a precious truth that I hope will comfort you to know that Jesus cries. But I want to show you a fourth thing. And that is that his tears reveal his anger at sin and death. You see, there is something strange in the words that John uses. It says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Those are strong words. And they're words in the original Greek which convey not just a kind of, oh, I feel sad, but, but a pretty violent, pretty um, strong reaction. There is an anger that is being expressed in the tears of Jesus. There is a rage, a frustration, a, a pouring out of emotion at what he sees. Because remember, right? Remember that this one who stands at Lazarus' grave and weeps is the very one who in the beginning was with the Father as they created the universe. This is his world. And he created it to be a world of life and a world of joy and a world of freedom. We saw this last week. He created it to be this world, this beautiful place. And now he comes into this world which has become a world of sin and death. And as the creator stands, he now weeps over his creation. As he weeps at the devastation that sin has brought to this world, the devastation that death has brought to this world, as he looks and he thinks of all that it was supposed to be, all that they had planned, all that they had purposed for this world to be, Jesus weeps over the mess. He is angry at sin. He is angry at death. And here is where you get that little glimpse again of his perfectly ordered emotions. Do you know what? If I'm totally honest with you, I think my emotions sometimes are wrongly expressed. Sometimes I am under-emotional about things that I should be emotional about. And sometimes I'm overly emotional about things that I shouldn't be as emotional about. Right? My, it's it's under-expressed. So this 14-year-old this week who was stabbed in Newham that we were praying for a moment ago, Faraz Matou. I think if I was Jesus and I'd been watching that news report, I would have wept. And some of you in this room did weep because you felt it so personally. But as we look at our world, as we see what sin and death has brought to our world, it's sh- as we allow Jesus to reorder our emotions, we will begin to feel some of the anger and rage that he feels at sin and death. That as we walk through our city, and as we see the injustices in our city, that we would feel something 
of the weeping and the tears of Jesus at the devastation that sin and death brings to our world. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at? Jesus wept because he was raging at sin and death. And the solution, right, well, this is not that we're all supposed to go out and go, right, I'm going to try and cry more. You know, I need to try and cry a bit more. Come on, tears, where are you? Cry. This is we need to allow Jesus, we need to ask Jesus to do this work in us. That Jesus would give us hearts like his. That Jesus would give us eyes that see like he sees and tears that weep like he weeps. Would you ask him to do that for you? But we've got two more things. Let's keep going. Because as it reveals his sin and anger, I think these tears also reveal something more. I think they reveal his knowledge of the cross. As Jesus weeps at Lazarus' tomb and he sees the sin and death and he rages at sin and death, he is weeping because he knows what it will cost to put things right. You see, we sort of have this idea, don't we, that Jesus comes along and it's fairly straightforward for him to kind of walk up to Lazarus' tomb and go, Lazarus, come out. But in order for Jesus to say those words, which we'll get to at some point, as in order for Jesus to say those words, he knows that it will cost him his life. That's how it works. And so Jesus weeps because as he contemplates sin and death, as he comes toe to toe with the enemy of death, he knows what it will cost him. You see, Jesus is going to give his life. Jesus is going to experience death. Jesus is going to step into the place where Lazarus deserves to be in order to bring us out. Can I say this? I I deserve to face death. I really do. I know that you know, we can sort of think, oh, well, no, we're nice people. You know, John, you're a nice person and all that. But actually, in the way that I've treated God, I deserve to die. I deserve to experience death, God's punishment for sin. But G- Jesus so loved this world that he didn't sit in heaven going, oh, that's sad, I'm going to weep over it. Instead, he came into the world, he became like me so that he could cry for me, so that he could die for me, so that he could save me from death and give me life. He cried at Lazarus' tomb because he was going to die for Lazarus. And lastly, Jesus cries, these two words, Jesus wept, they're revealing his tear-wiping work. You see, as Jesus cries at the tomb of Lazarus, he knows that his ultimate work is to wipe every tear away. 
See, Jesus didn't just come into this world of tears in order to be with us in this world of tears, in order to give us a bit of comfort in this world of tears. He came to be in this world of tears in order that he might save us from this world of tears and that he might transform this world to be a world where there are no more tears. And so, yes, Jesus will weep. And in chapter 12, we'll see that Jesus is deeply troubled about his own impending death, his own suffering that he will experience. Yes, Jesus walked that road of tears, but he knew that beyond the grave, beyond the tomb, there was resurrection life where there are no more tears. Because when sin and death is dealt with, then tears are wiped away. And so Jesus is not weeping tears of desperate and hopeless despair. He is weeping in anticipation of the day when there will be no more tears. And every tear that a Christian cries as they trust in Jesus, is a tear that anticipates the day when there'll be no more tears. The tears of Jesus anticipate his tear-wiping away work. So I think these two words, this little memory verse I learnt in order to get a packet of sweets is probably worth more than a packet of sweets. These two words take us deep into the heart of Jesus himself. They validate all our emotion. They challenge our emotion. They comfort us in our emotion. And then they transform and give us hope in our distress. Until I learned to trust, I never learned to pray. And I did not learn to fully trust until sorrows came my way. Until I felt my weakness, his strength I never knew, nor dreamed that I was, till I was stricken that he could see me through. Who deepest drinks of sorrow, drinks deepest too of grace. He sends the storm so he himself can be our hiding place. His heart that seeks our highest good knows well when things annoy. We would not long for heaven if earth held only joy. Jesus wept. He wept for you so that he could die for you. And then he rose again so that he could wipe every tear away. Yeah, Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. But Jesus stopped to weep first so that he might be our teacher, so that we might learn to trust him with our emotions. So this afternoon, will you wonder at him? Like we've been saying in this service, will you gaze afresh at him? That God would come to cry for you? Will you allow him to comfort you in your crying? And will you allow him to give you hope that our tears might be transformed to be tears that anticipate the final day?
And if you're sitting here this afternoon in church and you think, wow, I've never even been to church before, and this is all a bit heavy. <laughs> well, it's heavy because this is real life, right? And because we passionately believe that only Jesus offers this hope in the face of a world of tears. Only Jesus. And you can try and pretend and you can pack up your troubles in an old kit bag and smile, smile, smile. And you can put on all the face you like. But when it really comes down to it, only Jesus has an answer. Only Jesus cried for you. Only Jesus died for you. And only Jesus rose to give you life forever. I want to invite you to trust him. Just trust him. Say, Jesus, I want that life. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you so loved this world that you sent your son to become like us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came and you lived and you died and you rose again and you give us hope. And we ask that we might worship you and trust in you, even in our tears, and know that you one day will wipe every tear away. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.